0: All right. Is anybody else intrigued by this sermon title? <laughs> All right. Ooh, I have some time this morning. I thought I was going to have to fly through this. We still, we we have a lot to cover, so I'm, I am going to move fairly quickly, but I can take a couple breaths. Um, Before we get into... The, the meat of the sermon. We're going to be spending most of our time in Exodus chapter three, but it might be a little helpful to lay some groundwork first. So we have to go back to Exodus chapter two. And the story where we're picking up today is Moses after he has killed an Egyptian and then fled into Midian. And he finds a job and he finds a home with a man named Jethro. In Exodus 2, 21 and 22, it says, then Moses was content to live with the man, Jethro, and he gave, he, Jethro, gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses, and she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom. Um, and Gershom, it's, it actually sounds very similar to the, the Hebrew word for foreigner he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And so this little bit of background here, it is laying a foundation for Moses's identity, who Moses identified as at this point of time. And in in just these two verses, we find out that Moses is a husband, Moses is a father and Moses is a stranger or an exile. And so we can, we can be clear here that Moses has left Israel and he's found a new life. He has started a new life. Yet even though Moses had left Egypt, time and history continue to march on for the rest of the Hebrew people. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. God what, everyone? I got to wake you all up today, so I'm going to make this a little more interactive than I normally do. Um, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered, God what, everyone? remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked. God what, everyone? Yes, God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. I find comfort in these verses because what they tell us is that the pharaohs of life come and go, but God and his promises last forever. God's children they cried out. And this is a, a recurring theme in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. God's people crying out, God hearing them. But God's children cried out, and like any good parent, God heard, God remembered, God looked, God was concerned. This is the type of God that we serve. He listens. He remembers his promises. He looks after his creation and he expresses concern over injustices. Yet with God, it isn't all just thoughts and prayer, right? God actually does something about it all. And that's where we move into chapter three. So chapter three, verse one now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And so here we can add one more identity marker to Moses. One more. He's still a father, a husband, an exile, but now we see that he is also a shepherd. He's a leader, he's a provider, he is a protector. Of his flock. And he's going about his normal everyday business of making sure that his sheep find grass and water, food and drink. But then something interesting happens. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So what's interesting here is that if you take a a wide lens look and above a, a helicopter view of Moses's life, you'll see that it fits into three distinct periods, right? And each of those periods are 40 years. He spent 40 years in Egypt Then he spent 40 years out in Midian, and then his last 40 years was spent wandering in the wilderness. So at this point, though, this this mid part, he's been a shepherd in Midian for about 40 years, and he would have been very familiar with the area. He would have been very familiar with all of the, the natural elements that made it up. And so he's going through his He's going through the motions, you could say, his, his normal daily routine, but then something unusual catches his eye. It grabs his attention, and he sees a bush that has caught fire, which actually isn't too strange for him. Did you know that there are actually plants that can burst into flame? Did you know that? They they do exist. This plant, Dictimus albus, which is native to warm habitats such as southern Europe, northern Africa, and much of Asia, is nicknamed simply burning bush. Burning bush. That is this plant's nickname. And it contains numerous volatile oils, one of which is isoprene. Isoprene. And so it can just burst into flames if it's in hot weather. And so this has led some scholars to believe that this right here could have been this bush that Moses encountered. So it's very possible that the initial sight of seeing a bush on fire, it was nothing amazing. It was nothing astounding or alarming. But then he stopped to look. And he noticed the truly surprising thing, that the bush was on fire. Yes, he'd seen that before, but it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't being burned up. And that was something he'd never witnessed before. And this is where I want to get to the true meat of the sermon. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. We must allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. So Moses lived out in the wilderness. He'd gone up Mount Horeb to search out a a grassy area so that his sheep could feed. And this was just an ordinary day for him, full of seemingly mundane tasks, just the typical stuff. But then God interrupted him. And Moses had a choice. Moses had a choice in that moment to keep on walking or to stop and inspect the interesting sights. And as we've talked about, it wasn't too interesting to him. He had most likely seen bushes on fire before. But if he didn't pause and allow God's interruption, he might not have noticed the truly mysterious fact that the bush was not burning up in those flames. I believe that's how God works. He finds us where we are, often within the seemingly mundane. We can find ourselves wanting God to make big things happen, right? We're we're on the constant lookout for for huge miracles, tremendous signs, and God can do those things, right? Right? Of course, God can do those things. He has done those things, but God is very often present in the ordinary and the humdrum of day-to-day life. How often are we paying attention? How often are we actively looking for God in our day-to-day activities and this is where I get kind of nervous when I hear people constantly making these, these very strict black and white distinctions between what they term secular and holy. Have you ever heard of this? Maybe you've done it. I know, I know I've been guilty of this in the past. They make these distinctions, but what I believe that it does is it creates the unconscious notion that God might not be present in or able to use things that we do not deem as being holy. Do you see how that can be dangerous in a daily walk with God where we are supposed to be continually being sanctified, connecting with him, having a relationship with him, hearing his voice, looking for his fingerprints every second of every day? In the Bible, it tells us that Jesus came to make all things new and that all things are held together by him and that for those of us who love God, he is able to make all things work together for good. Do not discount what God can do and where he is present. So something caught Moses' eye. And then look at this. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, here I am. So this bush is on fire, it's not burning up, and now God's voice is coming from the bush. We are now clearly within the realm of the supernatural, right? Right? There's no denying that. God is planning something big here. But what would have happened if Moses had not turned aside? I mean, it's all conjecture. We don't know because he did. But what would have happened if he didn't? What if he hadn't stopped to take a closer look? So yes, God meets us in the seemingly mundane, but are we willing to listen, to look, and to turn aside from our focuses, our plans, our wants, our goals, our desires. This tells me that God is willing to meet us wherever we are, but often we have to slightly alter our course in order to meet him. Can anyone else read the picture? You know, we, we have our plan, and it's usually pretty straightforward. We have the, the the end goal in sight, and then we look at God's plan. And when we're in that water, when we're in that that ditch of rocks, whatever it is, when we're going up that treacherous path, when we're in the midst of those, we can often be like, where are you, God? What are you doing? When really, if we're honest with each other, we're saying, God, why is life not more easy? (laughs) When we're on our straight path, heading towards whatever goals we have, raising a family, furthering our career, going to school, et cetera, et cetera, he usually doesn't just jump out in front of us and block our path. No, God is generally just adjacent to us so that we have to show a willingness to slightly alter our course in order to meet with him. And that, dear friends, is where some really powerful stuff can happen. We can begin to have incredible, awe-inspiring encounters with a supernatural God within the confines of the ordinary and the seemingly mundane. So let me just give you a question to think about and reflect upon as you go through the rest of this day. What was an ordinary event in your life that God took and transformed into something extraordinary? Think about that. I want you to think about that. And I'm sure that if we all sat here for a few minutes and thought real hard, most everyone in here could have a story to tell. You're going about your normal, everyday life, but then God speaks and causes you to just slightly alter your course. And then the normal and the mundane turns into something noteworthy and miraculous. And this is what life in the spirit can look like. So Moses says, here I am. And then God continues. Then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. This word here translated holy, it's the, the Hebrew word kadesh, kadesh. And it simply means different, set apart, or Unusual. This ground was now different, set apart, or unusual because it's occupied at that moment by the Creator God, the one who is symbolized by the bush that is burning but not being consumed. Moreover, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Essentially, He's saying, I made a covenant. I remember that covenant. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. He what, everyone? He saw, oh yeah, I, I, I kind of tricked you there, right? <laughs> he seen. <laughs> God saw the oppression of his people that, who are in Egypt. And he says, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me And I have also, once again, the second time he's saying, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I'm sure all of this was very, very encouraging to Moses Hearing God say, I have surely seen the oppression. I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver. I have seen the oppression. But then there's that last part. Then there's that last part. God says, and I am sending you. And Moses is thinking to himself, what? Send me? (laughs) And remember, we've seen all the things that Moses is, right? He's a husband, he's a father, he's an exile, he's a shepherd. And Moses is still all of those things, but now God is calling him to something even more. I want you to take that little bit and just put it in your back pocket for later. I know you're, you, maybe you're picking up on the fact that like he's, he's putting out a lot of threads and he's not tying them together. It's coming, it's coming. But hold hold that in your back pocket. It's not that Moses isn't all these things, but that God is calling him to something even more. So Moses hears that God is wanting to send him and he protests, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, if you know the story, you know that that did come true. But a lot of stuff had to happen before they got there. But now, look look at this. Moses is saying, who am I? And... What God responds with, it isn't really an answer, is it? I mean, it, it is an answer, but it isn't. Who am I? And God says, I will certainly be with you. I'd imagine to Moses that this didn't feel like a, a good answer. Uh, because he's clearly dealing with some sort of imposter's syndrome. Imposter syndrome is an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. It involves feelings of self-doubt and personal incompetence that persist in spite of your education, your experience, and accomplishments. And this is an issue that is happening more and more nowadays. And you might be surprised but it's usually the most accomplished and talented people that struggle with this the most. So Moses is thinking, I can't do this. This is too large of a task, God. Who am I, Lord? Send someone else. That's the gist of what Moses is getting at here. Uh, Uh-uh. I love all that stuff you said, God, you, you saw, you heard, you're gonna do something about it, but send someone else. Yet God's response, I will be with you, is the same as Jesus' response in the Great Commission. Right? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And that's usually where we step in and we say, whoa, 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 but who am I? Send someone else. That's what you mean, right, Jesus. And his response is, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So God commanded Moses to go and promise to be with him. Jesus commanded the disciples and us to go and promise to be with us. And it's the the perfect promise to crush any doubts, any fears any feelings of lack. If God says go, we can be assured that he is going with us. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And God said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's what you say. Wow. What a a miraculous and powerful event this burning bush thing was. And it's easy for us to look back at Moses to look back at his life and feel that he was always this this powerful, enigmatic, profoundly inspired individual, that he was like some larger-than-life figure. But we must remember that when he was chosen, when he was called by God, he was just an ordinary person. He was a a father, he was a husband, he was an exile, a stranger, he was a shepherd. He was just an ordinary person moving forward in the common walks of life. Yet God drew near, got his attention, and helped mold Moses into the mighty prophet that we think of today when we hear his name. Dear friends, do not discount the work that God desires to bring about through your life, through your influence, through your willingness to serve him. We may look at these mighty stories of biblical faith or even the more modern examples like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Ellen White, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, fill in the blanks. People that seem to be like of this elevated status, right? they're, they're, They're closer to God, did a tremendous amount of good in the name of God. And we may look at them and feel very, very small, low stature, too common. I'm too simple. I'm too uneducated. I'm too flawed. I'm too basic but we are important and special to God. That's the good news of the Bible. That is the message Christ came to bring, that God loves you so much that he became a man, drew near to you, died for you, and offers you free, unmerited, unearned gift called salvation. The mighty power of God the mighty call from his spirit. These may seem so far above us yet, and I believe this following truth with all of my heart. This comes from the the book Desire of Ages, page 48. To us in the common walks of life, heaven may be very near. You like that? I love that. To us in the common walks of life, heaven may be very near. We feel like we are small, we're very far away from God. God doesn't feel that way. God desires a willing heart. God wants humble servants. God calls, then equips. It's easy for us to get caught up in our own lives, our own desires, our own plans, but God is constantly looking to interrupt us. And if we are willing to look for him, to listen for his leading, to alter our course, sometimes ever so slightly, we might find ourselves experiencing the noteworthy and the miraculous within the normal and mundane. For example allow me to tell you a bit about baked potatoes, baptisms, and burned feet. Did y'all forget about the title of this sermon? (laughs) The past month or so has been quite the adventure. There was the called pastors convention in Kentucky, followed by a week of VBS here at church, then 11 straight days in Wawoka for Oklahoma conference camp meeting. And I'll I'll be honest with y'all, though God did bless immensely I'm exhausted, I'm tired. I know I'm fired up this morning, but <laughs> I'm exhausted and I'm looking forward to next week's little vacation. But last week on the final Sabbath of camp meeting, God had some interruptions. We just finished our morning session with the primary children's division, um, which is about 50 kids aged six to nine in a small room for over three hours. So, I think you can start to maybe process uh, what that was like. It was fun, but it was also wild and crazy at times. And once the children were back with their parents or guardians, I was ready to hopefully catch some rest before the evening's meetings when we had all the kids back again. And so, my plan was to go back to the hotel where there was air conditioning share a meal with my my bride, Sarah, and maybe even get to take a short little nap on the comfortable bed. That Those were my plans, but God had other plans. Nick Shepard had prepared some lunch for his family, and so he extended an invitation to Sarah and I to eat with them up in the primary room. Now, I could have easily said no to this, right? I was exhausted and had my own plans already, but instead... I chose to just slightly alter my course. We accepted the invitation. We stayed for a meal of, of salad and barbecue and baked potatoes. We sat down and we began to eat when all of a sudden, Richard, Richard Bell, he was like right here beside me. He was like, hey, 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 pastor, I've been looking for you. He said that he'd been trying to track me down for some time. Now, if you weren't there last Sabbath, I'll just let you in on a fact that there were over a 1,000 people there at that time. So not super easy to find someone you were looking for. But by God's grace, Richard found me, and he said, I've been searching for you because we just found out that Abriano was wanting to get baptized up at the pool. And um, he asked me if I would be willing to do it. I said, sure. What time is this at? And he told me the time and I looked at my Fitbit and the baptisms were going to be taking place at that pool in 15 minutes. I have a plate of food. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing, you know, jeans and a button up. <laughs> and so I thought about it and I'm like, okay, okay. I knew that I'd be cutting it extremely close, but I figured I could rush back, speed back, Lord forgive me, get to the hotel, get in my swim trunks, get back, and just be a few minutes late, maybe five or 10 minutes late. And so I grabbed another paper plate, and as hard as it was, I covered mine, and I I gave it to my wife. I was like, can you just keep this safe? I'll I'll eat it later. (laughs) And about that time, Luke Shepard, who was also in the room, he spoke up and he said, hey, I have some swim trunks over at the lodge and they just might fit you. So I was like, okay, that is a much better plan than I had. Let's do that. And then Nick spoke up. He'd been driving the golf cart around that, that morning and afternoon, taking people to different locations. So he was like, Luke, I'll give you the keys. You can drive them over there. It'll be much quicker than if you had to walk. So he did that and uh, Norma and Rex, they also wanted to get over to the pool. So then we, by, by this point, we have a troop. It's Luke, Rex, Norma, Sarah, and I. We headed downstairs, got to the golf cart. We all piled in, and then he's turning the key, and it's just, <laughs> it's not starting. And Chef Sam was right there, and so we were like, Chef Sam, come over here, because he can fix anything. And he tried, but he couldn't fix that golf cart and didn't know what was wrong with it. It had gas. But just about that time, Lewis then drove up. He, he's our new uh, Oklahoma Conference evangelism coordinator. Lewis drove up in his own golf cart. And so I talked to Chef Sam the next day, and he still had no idea what happened to that golf cart. But thanks to Lewis... Being in the right place at the right time, unbeknownst to him, he was able to give us a ride over to the lodge. So we got over there. I got changed, and then uh, I was walking across the road from the lodge to the pool. And boy, oh boy, was that black asphalt very hot on my bare feet! I mean, I was I was dancing across. But when it was all said and done, this happened. Abriana was baptized. Along with 10 other people of varying genders, ages, and nationalities, a, a true taste of what it's gonna be like in heaven. The burned feet, um, <laughs> they simply help to sear this experience into the archives of my memories. And the other cool thing is that Abriana wasn't even in my classes. She wasn't in my division. She was in the junior division with Pastor Nathan and Pastor Irwin. And so after the baptisms, I made my, I made my way back across to the lodge. And I swear the ground was hotter (laughs) that time than it was the first one. And I was honestly scared that I was gonna have blisters but God in his infinite mercy simply saved the soles of my feet from any lasting damage and instead set a fire in my spiritual soul. And looking back now, I can see all of these pieces that had to fall into place in order for that baptism to take place in the way that it did. God used Nick to interrupt my plans. And Sarah and I made the decision to turn aside and alter our course. God sent Richard to come find me, led him to the exact room where I was and gave me the invitation to baptize his daughter. Luke saved me from rushing back to the hotel and offered me his swim trunks. Lewis showed up for a divine appointment, unbeknownst to him at the time. He found out later, I let him know. Pastors Nathan and Irwin created a safe space for Adriana to learn about Jesus throughout the week and to choose to serve and follow him and make the decision to get baptized. Now, I've lived long enough and experienced enough of God's blessings and interruptions to know that I'm probably only scraping the surface here in my understanding of all the things God was doing behind the scenes to make this all happen. And I share this with you all today to encourage you that no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are facing, that if you cry out to God, he will hear your prayers. He will remember his promises. He will look upon you with favor and he is concerned with your best interests. He sees oppression, he knows our sorrows and he will and already has come down to deliver us. And maybe, just maybe, he is planning to use you in order to help someone else in their time of need. Maybe he is planning to send you to represent him. So the questions we must ask ourselves this morning, are we willing to allow God to interrupt our plans, our desires, our ways? Are we willing to seek God and listen for his voice at all times, even during those moments that are seemingly mundane, boring, and ordinary? (laughs) Thank you, Ron. And if he does decide to send us forth in his name, will we go forth believing and trusting that he will go with us? I don't know exactly how God is planning to use you or send you, but we should all take comfort in the fact that God is on our side. It doesn't matter what qualifiers make up your identity, whether you're a parent or a spouse or a brother or a sister, a plumber or a doctor, whether you're old or young, whether you're a student or a teacher, whether you are well-known or you're a bit of an outcast, you can be all of those things. But God is calling you to something even more. The devil may come after us. Our enemies may try and slow us down. Obstacles may block our path. But the truth is this, dear friends, and this is my last slide. What then shall we say to these things, the devil coming after us, enemies in our way, obstacles blocking? If God is for us, who can be against us? To us, even in the common walks of life, heaven may be very near. Whether it's in the midst of baked potatoes, baptisms, or burned feet. Before we have our closing prayer, I want to invite Brandon to come forward. He's our elder in charge for today. And after the benediction, those of you who wish to be dismissed can be dismissed. But if there's anybody here that has any special burdens, special requests, special needs, special praises, and you would like to come talk with either Brandon or myself, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to pray with you and lift your request, your petition, your praise up to God. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, it it might catch us off guard. It might frustrate us in the moment. But Lord, right now in this moment, we just wanna thank you for your interruptions. And we want to ask, we want to plead with you that you would speak to us in those moments, that you would give us a willingness, a desire to sometimes just slightly alter our path so that we can meet with you. Lord, take those moments that the us feel very normal, mundane, and make them into something noteworthy and miraculous because you are there. Lord, maybe you are calling us to represent you. Lord, if you are, it's okay if we ask the question and we wonder, why me? Lord, who am I? Send someone else. But may our next thought be the reminder that when you told Moses to go, when Jesus told us to go, it was qualified with the promise that you would be with us. So Lord, send us forth. Go before us. Stay beside us. And fill us with your spirit. Give us opportunities to find you, to hear you, whatever we're doing, wherever we are. Lord, may we believe that even in our common walks of life, that heaven is very near. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, and we believe there is power in this prayer because we ask it in his name. Amen.